Good morning. Right, hopefully I'll do a better job than last time. I've handwritten my notes, so no risk of printing out the wrong notes. Um, we're doing this series of gifts, gifts of, from, off the Holy Spirit. And um, the gift that I'm speaking on today is the gift of knowledge. And today's sermon is a little bit teachery, but that is, de- that is deliberate. And that will be revealed at the end why it's like that. Um, so I'm going to hit you with quite a bit of scripture to begin with, to start us off, and then it'll get a little bit less dry. But basically, there are three gifts um, of, the, of the spiritual, three lists of the spiritual gifts in the Bible. We've got Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 9, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, around verse 28. There then is further explanation in verse chapter 14, the verses in that chapter. Only one of these lists mentions the gift of knowledge, which is the one we're talking about today. And it's interesting because the gift of knowledge overlaps a lot with the gift of wisdom and with the gift of prophecy. Um, and last week I was here, and I had to go out with um, the, the teenagers, but I listened to, um, to, to the talk that uh, uh, was done last week, and I thought it was really good when Richard gave those definitions, because you need that clarity to understand what the three are. But the gift of knowledge, especially words of knowledge, supernatural knowledge, which is one of the sections I'm going to look at today, overlaps with prophecy. And whereas the gift of prophecy is futuristic, so a lot of what Isaiah prophesies about was going to happen hundreds of years later, a word of knowledge is in the moment. So it's prophetic, but it's, it's in the moment. So there are overlaps with the gifts. To highlight these links, I'll hit you again with four pieces of scripture. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, comes knowledge and understanding. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 18:15, the heart of the discerning acquires knowledge, for the ears of the wise seek it out. Proverbs 15:14. The discerning heart seeks knowledge, but the mouth of a fool feeds on folly. So basically what I'm going to do this morning, I'm going to do my talk under three headings. We're going to have natural knowledge, the stuff that we learn, the stuff that we learn from reading books, the stuff that we learn from reading scripture, because that is still a gift. Our minds are a gift from God. But then the second section, I'm going to do supernatural knowledge, intuitive knowledge, knowledge from the Holy Spirit, words of knowledge. And then the third section, I'm going to kind of combine the two, and I'm going to look at supernatural knowledge, but here and now. What does it look like? What does it feel like? And to look at those, I'm going to look at threads through the Bible of words of knowledge, of learned knowledge, and link them up. So we'll start off in my first section. Natural knowledge, learnt knowledge, the stuff that we get when we read books. Something at the moment um, that I'm very passionate about is people connecting with the Holy Spirit. Um, On the Thursday evenings when we do the scripture and soak, 
want people to learn and practice connecting and listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying to them. And something that I'm learning now and that I'm reading and I'm studying and I'm really focused on and I'm, I'm putting a lot of prayer into is Ephesians chapter four. And it's the five-fold ministry that is given to the church and that is of the church. And Paul writes this letter to Ephesians. And it's not a specific letter, so it's not like a letter to the Corinthians or to the Romans about an issue. He's writing a general letter. And it's a general letter about how the church should be. And I believe it's as applicable today as it was then. Two weeks ago, um, when Graham spoke, again, I wasn't in the service, but I listened to it on the uh, internet. Graham spoke of, you know, how, for some people, the, it's as if the Holy Spirit retired in 2 AD, but he didn't. And, and Graham said, you know, we've got to emphasize this. And, and I'm so pleased with this series of talks because it is emphasizing that the Holy Spirit didn't retire in 2 AD. But in Ephesians, we have the fivefold ministry, and we have a list of apostolic. Um, sorry, start again, prophetic, apostolic, evangelistic, shepherd and teacher. And so often the church, and I don't mean this church, I mean the church, the worldwide church, has focused after 2 AD on the shepherd and the teacher. And so many of the systems that are set up are just focused on shepherd and teacher. And the reality is there's a sequence there and the prophetic listen to God as to where to go because God is softening the hearts of somebody in advance. We see it in scripture. Paul was told to go to Macedonia, but he was told not to go to Asia Minor. So there is, there's, there's, there's a need to hear where the Holy Spirit wants us to go. And then there's the apostle, the sent one, who goes to the place where God tells us to go. Then there's the role of the evangelist, the person that tells the people there about God. Then they come back, then there's the role of the shepherd, to shepherd them, to pastor them. And then there's the role of the teacher, to deepen that learning and depth and take them to a place of maturity. And the fivefold, along with the gifts, the whole focus is for the church to break through, thy kingdom come to a place of maturity. I can't blame people for focusing on the shepherd teacher role because I did it myself. Um, way back when, when Open the Book first started and um, Jackie and Diane were writing the material for Open the Book, so it's before we had all these nice posh um, leaflets and it was literally ring bind folders, um, and they were speaking to Bob Hartman about the assemblies, I recognised that there wasn't the that there wasn't the learning in the informative years to teach into, and that the game had changed. We were in a multi-faced society. And so the primary school level didn't have any depth to teach into. And I, and, and I thought, you know, they've, they've got, the kids have got to get this, the primary school kids have got to get this. And, you know, I, I became a, a trainer for Open the Book and went as far as Manchester, went out to Wales, I can remember going out in Mandy Fortune one night to Wales on a thunderstorm night, there was lightning, I was petrified driving over what felt like mountains to go and tell them about Open the Book. But you know, it was like a mission. Wolverhampton, the Midlands, Telford, 17 schools locally, to get Open the Book in because I thought there needs to be a foundational knowledge 
before they teach. But the reality was I'd missed the sequence and that there's a sequence there and something I am learning as I am reading and knowledge that I am learning from the paper, from, the, from words, from, from, from books and from the Bible, is there's a sequence and it's a constitution for the church to get to maturity. And in the same way, I mean, many of you know that Mark and I are, um, we're hopefully going to set up a retreat. And so I've gone out and I've bought all these fruit trees and I don't know a lot about fruit trees, but I've got apple trees, cookers, and I've got plum trees and cherry trees. But there's a sequence, you know. I go out and I look, where's it gonna be planted? Where's there a warm spot? Where's there gonna be lots of daylight? Where, is it, where are the brick walls, where the heat will reflect off the walls? I go back, I get a spade, I do the business, I dig the hole, I put the tree in, I go back, I nurture it, I water. There's a sequence. So we can have learnt knowledge that God gives us to teach us things from books. But we also have supernatural knowledge. This, is, um, this isn't taught. One of the things that Graham mentioned a while back is that John Farron says that the, the, the gifts from the Holy Spirit are tools, not toys. It's insight that's given to us from the Holy Spirit. I'm going to start in the Old Testament by looking at a word of knowledge. And I'm going to look at 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 25 to 27. And I'll give you the background of it. There's, who's that phone? (laughs) It's really distracting me. There's, um, there's a man from God and a, man, a prophet called Elisha. And basically there's this gentleman, this gentleman called Naaman had leprosy and he sent a message to Elisha and he said, please pray for healing for me. Please, what can I do? Please, you, you've got this God that can heal, heal, heal me, you know. And Elisha sends this message back and he says, well, just go to the River Jordan, dunk in it seven times, you'll be healed. So Naaman gets a little bit perturbed and he thinks, well, everybody washes in there. Everybody feeds their animals in there. Everybody does their, their clothes washing in there. And, he, and he's a bit, but then he, common sense prevails. What have I got to lose? So he goes to the river and he dunks seven times. And behold, on the seventh time he comes up and the leprosy is gone. And he's overjoyed. And so he goes to Elisha and he says, I'm so thankful, I'm so grateful. Please have money, have clothes, have these garments. And Elisha says, no, it's a gift from God. It's a gift from God, I don't want anything for it, and he sends him on his way. After the gentleman, after Naaman drives off, Jehazi, who's Elisha's servant, thinks, well, I fancied a bit of that. I fancied a bit of that money, I fancied a bit of that cash. I'd have had some of those gifts. So I just want to read you the scripture. He went in, Jehazi, before his master. And Elisha, that's the prophet, he asked him, So, where have you been, Jehazi? Why, your servant didn't go anywhere, Jehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to you? Is this the time to take money or accept clothes or olive groves or vineyards or flocks or herds? or male or female servants. Naaman's leprosy now will cling to you and your descendants. 
And what, Jeha- what Elisha had in that moment was a word of knowledge. It was supernatural insight from God. He hadn't been with Jehazi and he hadn't followed him to go and get the money. He hadn't, somebody hadn't come back to him and given him a little kind of a detailed envy of what's gone on. He, he didn't know that. He'd had a word of knowledge. And he'd not only had a word of knowledge about what he had done behind his back, he'd had a word of knowledge about what he was actually going to spend the money on. Because Jehazi's kind of toddling back thinking, well, I've got all this money right. I think I'll get myself a vineyard. I think I'll get myself some flocks. I'll get, I'll get a few herd, get, get, get a herd, get some cattle. Do you know what? I think I fancy a servant. The reality is Elisha tells him what he's thinking of spending the money on. Supernatural insight. He didn't learn it. It was from God. Another example, purely because it's on the same page and life makes life easy. In chapter 6, Elisha, each morning, is going to the king of Israel and telling him where to take his troops. Because the king of Israel is fighting with the king of Aran. And the king of Aran keeps planning these ambushes. So Elisha says, I wouldn't go that way today, I'd go that way. So the king of Israel takes his troops that way. Guess what? He's okay. Next day, or next week, I wouldn't go that way, I'd go that way. He listens to him again. These are insights from God. There's no poster up saying, guess what? The king of Iran's going to ambush you over here today. There was no Israel Times. It was supernatural insight. A word of knowledge from God. A classic one, Daniel. It was interesting, when I started looking for them, there were like so many, I was like, I can't fit all these in, I'll be there all day. But like Daniel, you know, Daniel chapter one, verse, verse seven, it says, to these four men, so that's um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand signs and dreams of all kinds. The reality is when Nebuchadnezzar was having his dreams and they were troubling him and he wanted somebody to explain what they were and this guy says, oh, I know this chap, he is in jail. He can decipher dreams. And they bring Daniel out in front of Nebuchadnezzar and he says, I want you to decipher my dream but just to check you the real McCoy, I want you to tell me what I actually dreamt about as well. What Daniel shared was supernatural knowledge. It was a word of knowledge from the Holy Spirit in that moment, for that moment, for the person in front of him. Words of knowledge, we also see loads in the New Testament. So, just to look at a couple. I found it interesting that even Jesus got a word of knowledge. And of course we all know when Jesus walked the earth as a human, he in effect suspended his powers that came with his deity and walked as a human, listening to the Father, depending on the Holy Spirit, looking for their guidance to show us how we as humans could do the same. But Jesus in John chapter four, verses four to 42, he meets the woman at the well. And he meets the woman at the well and and he says to her, I know you, you've had five husbands, you've got a boyfriend at the moment. And she is so impacted by this, she goes back to the village, 
evangelizes the village and says, come and see this man, he knows everything about me. You know, the reality is they would have all known everything about her. She probably was the biggest gossip for the town. But the fact that this stranger goes up to her and tells her impacted her so much. This word of knowledge brought growth to the kingdom. And it's always designed to bring growth and maturity. Words of knowledge can sometimes be a bit hard. In Acts chapter five, verse 15, Ananias and Sapphira, they sold their property and they pretended to give all of the money that they had made to the disciples. And the reality is, Peter has a word of knowledge. Again, it's not something he's learned, it's not something he's read about, but he stands there in the moment and he says, you've lied, and basically he tells them they're going to die. The sin wasn't that they didn't actually give the whole amount, because the reality was, there was no obligation for them to do that. There was no obligation for them to sell the house, but they'd conspired to lie to the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit gave Peter a word of knowledge. This isn't on, this isn't how, this isn't how my children behave. So, to go back to the original text that was up on screen. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Peter says to Jesus, Thou art the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus responds, This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Peter, in that moment, in that circumstance, in that second, had a word of knowledge from God. And that's my link now onto the third part, the here and now. Did it, what did it look like? Did it come with a fanfare? No, probably not. Did it come with a sky full of rainbows? No, probably not. Did the earth move? No, probably not. It could so easily have been missed and overlooked. And I suspect that that today is one of the issues why the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's not that they're not there. It's not that the Holy Spirit stopped working. It's not that he's retired. It's not that we don't get the gifts. It's that we miss them. A while back, um, Mark, my hubby, had some bad news. And... um, on the day that he did, Mark Guider pulled up on the drive. It was in the middle of the week, middle of the day. He's often around our house drinking our beer, but not normally at that time. And he turned up and he said, I, I, just, think, I just think I need to be here. And I said, you do, Mark's in the house. And the same evening, John Farron phoned up. John Farron's probably phoned us once in all the years we've known him. In fact, it was, on our, it was at our old phone number. You know, he never phones us. And he says, uh, are you guys all right? And Mark answered the phone and said, yeah, 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 we're fine. Yeah, we're fine, you know, typical British kind of answer. Put the phone down. I said, he's responded to the Holy Spirit. He's had a word of knowledge and he's acted on it. I think you should phone him back. And Mark phoned him back. He said, well, actually, I'm not all right. And they had a very long conversation, which I actually think benefited both of them because it affirmed to John that John had followed and been obedient to the Holy Spirit. But it also helped Mark because John was full of such comforting advice and help and support.
Same day, Benny texts me. Text Benny, and Benny texts me loads of days, you know. But this was a different text. Are you all right, you guys? Word of knowledge. So, a word of knowledge, what is it? It's often a fragment of knowledge. It's not a reservoir, and I put in my notes, irritatingly, because I like to know the full picture, and then if I have a single word that makes no sense to me, but is going to make sense to that person, there's less pressure on me to deliver it. But often, a word of knowledge, you won't get the big picture of what's going on. You know, like John remarked, you don't get the big picture, it, you just get a glimpse, an episodic little bit. Sometimes, a word of knowledge is to disclose enemy strategies. The reality is the devil will try and get in. We saw with um, Elisha in the Old Testament and the king of Amman, and we saw in the New Testament with Ananias and Sapphira, sometimes a word of knowledge is actually to reveal something to avoid it. But the focus is it's always to build the kingdom. It's always to mature the kingdom. Often it's associated with healing ministry, healing ministry, words of knowledge for healing, but the focus is always for the good of the kingdom. So a word of knowledge, for me personally, it's a definite conviction. It's not even a word if I'm honest, it's just a real conviction deep down. It's an understanding of a circumstance, a situation or a problem that you don't necessarily, you haven't learnt about, but there's just something inside you that knows about it. So what isn't a word of knowledge? It isn't confusing and it isn't chaotic because those are not characteristics of God and they're not reflective of God. It isn't used to gain power and it isn't used for manipulation and it can't be purchased. In Acts chapter 8 verses 19 to 23, Simon the sorcerer has lost his lost his kind of followers and he sees Peter doing these healings and he sees that Peter is getting words of knowledge from the Holy Spirit and he's laying on hands and people are being healed. And he says, can I buy that off you? Can I buy it off you? But the motivation was wrong. He wanted, to, he wanted it for, 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 his, for his building up. You can't buy it. God does not work outside our will, and God does not violate our will. But to walk in the gifts, and there are obviously other gifts, but I'm talking about this one specifically today, we have to submit to the Holy Spirit. So, to conclude, I think we have to combine our learned knowledge with our supernatural work, works, words of knowledge to discern fakes. The reality is fakes take away from the genuine thing. They distract to devalue the original. With words of knowledge, they undermine to get people to close down to the openness of the Holy Spirit and the power of God and how it can move. A word of knowledge from the Spirit of Christ will always be in line with the words of Christ in the Bible. Always. That's your benchmark. And it will always help God's people, either with maturity or meeting God in the first place. Like the fivefold ministry, I would love for every Baptist church to have five leaders 
every Anglican church to have a group of five vicars, every Catholic church to have a group of five priests, one representing each of the, each of the five of the, of the five of the fivefold ministry. And the reality is when you get a group that's that diverse, you get diverse characters. And that in itself produces its own friction. But the reality is, and I've seen it so often, that quite often the, the groups are chosen of people that get on. But the thing that is seen to be the obstruction, the challenge, is often the stimulant to break through and break forward. When Paul writes about the fivefold, he initially, beforehand, writes about the importance of unity. Because if you have five characters so different, you've got to be so focused on staying together. With words of knowledge, they also go hand in hand with something. They go hand in hand with love. Love for God and love for God's people. The list in Corinthians, the talking about, about the gifts, it, it, talk, it lists them in 12 and it expands on them in chapter 14. So we've got chapter 12 and chapter 14. There is no coincidence that chapter 13 is the chapter on love, the famous love is patient, love is kind. Because words of knowledge go hand in hand with love, hand in hand with the, the right motivation for sharing them. And just to close, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it details an obstacle with regard to spiritual gifts. And it says one of the biggest obstacles for the release of spiritual gifts is being misinformed. And the reason this has been a bit teachery and a bit, you know, is, not, is, is, is to give clarity so there's no ignorance, and so that hopefully by going through the scripture and giving examples from the Old Testament and from the New, it's given some clarity as to how and why God gives us this gift. I think people might want to have prayer maybe for release of that, but I'll hand that over to Mark. Thank you.